Joshua chapter 7, verse 1. But the children of Israel committed a trespass in the accursed thing. For Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took of the accursed thing. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against the children of Israel. Dropping down to verse 7. And Joshua said, Alas, O Lord God, wherefore hast thou at all brought this people over Jordan to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us? Would to God we had been content and dwelt on the other side, Jordan. O Lord, what shall I say when Israel turneth their backs before their enemies? For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land shall hear of it and shall environ us around and cut off our name from the earth. And what wilt thou do unto thy great name? And the Lord said unto Joshua, Get thee up. Wherefore liest thou thus upon thy face? Israel has sinned. And they have also transgressed my covenant which I commanded them. For they have even taken of the accursed thing, and have also stolen, and dissembled also, and they have put it even among their own stuff. Therefore the children of Israel could not stand before their enemies, but turned their backs before their enemies, because they were accursed. Neither will I be with you any more, except ye destroy the accursed from among you. Up, sanctify the people, and say, Sanctify yourselves against tomorrow, for thus saith the Lord God of Israel, There is an accursed thing in the midst of thee, O Israel. Thou canst not stand before thine enemies until ye take away the accursed thing from among you. In the morning, therefore, ye shall be brought according to your tribes, and it shall be that the tribe which the Lord taketh shall come according to the families thereof, and the family which the Lord shall take shall come by households, and the household which the Lord shall take shall come man by man. And it shall be that he that is taken with the accursed thing shall be burnt with fire, he and all that he hath, because he hath transgressed the covenant of the Lord, and because he hath wrought folly in Israel. You may be seated. By faith, the harlot Rahab perished not with them that believed not when she had received the spies with peace. And like you see, the title for the message today is, is Joshua, the backslider, and the believer. And after I had that put into the bulletin, I realized that that wasn't quite as clear as what I wanted it to be. But the punctuation in that title, after the word Joshua, like the bulletin shows, is a comma and not a colon. It's not that I'm saying that Joshua was a backslider and then became a believer, but I'm thinking of three different people. Joshua, a backslider, and a believer. Now this subject and the persons that I'm thinking about and the thought of a sermon for that, on that wasn't in my thinking at all at the beginning of this series. You might remember that we already talked about Joshua and his background, and last time that I preached here, um, the title was Joshua and His Book. Today, Joshua, the Backslider, and the Believer. And let me just comment while I'm thinking of that, that number 446 in our hymn books, We Are Bound for Canaan's Land, it sounded good up here again today, but not quite as good as usual. And I think maybe you know why. We miss our youth, do we not? Uh, both in singing and in lots of other ways, too. Well, as I read and studied in the book of Joshua lately, I became fascinated by two individuals with whom Joshua interacted. Two individuals, and it just seems like as prominently as they are spoken of in the book of Joshua, these two individuals, it just seems like the Holy Spirit, although I had never noticed before, it just seems like the Holy Spirit uh, would be saying that, look at these two contrast these two. And so, by God's grace, we'd like to do that best as we can this morning. 
these two individuals, and I think you already know who they are, don't you? Think about the scripture that Nate read, and think about the verse that I read first thing when I was here, and you already know those two. Often when there's two things or objects or persons that we look at, we like to contrast and compare. We say there's some points of comparison and then there's some points of contrast. Often that's the case. I submit this morning that it's just these two, there's really very few contrasts. Almost all of the items are, there's very few comparisons. They're almost all contrasts. And think with me about these two people as we go along and how opposite they are in just about every way. Contrasts. And as we think about these two and as I talk about these, you may even think that these are familiar and simple concepts. They are. They might even sound, you might even remember that I have said similar things before or even recently. But I think it's because I need it so bad that God keeps bringing these kind of things before me and maybe even that you need it too. Who knows? Let's think about uh, the outline for the message. Two points. First, we talk about the backslider and then with great relief we turn and talk about the believer. The backslider, Joshua 7, like you have guessed, the man named Achan. He had a very privileged condition. His condition was very privileged. And as we start talking about that and all the advantages and spiritual advantages that he has, I asked, uh, wouldn't it be neat to know how old he was here? He had sons and daughters. He had quite a lot of possessions. Or he had possessions. Verse 24, 25, 26. So obviously he wasn't a single person or maybe very young. He was probably middle-aged or a little better. Just guessing that now. And maybe you're thinking, what's it matter what age he was? Well, I said, I asked that question, I'm thinking of two reasons why it could maybe matter. And the first is that backsliding often becomes apparent in a person's life in middle age. It's not as easy to see when he's young. But when he becomes a little older, middle aged, my age, you know, typically people are not quite as able to cover up their backsliding and their true condition as they could in earlier years. So I just submit that backsliding often becomes evident in middle age or beyond. Uh, secondly, the question of how old he was and what it matters is that I, if Aiken was over 40 years old, that means that he was born in Egypt. Remember, the children of Israel had wandered in the wilderness for 40 years and now are heading over toward the promised land. So if he was 40 years old or more, which I suspect that he was, he was born in Egypt. If he was 50 or more, then he could remember and he took part in the Passover and the Exodus and the Red Sea experience, and all manner of other miraculous and wonderful things that God did for, the, for that nation, for the nation of Israel. Think of how privileged he was to experience that. Makes me almost a little bit jealous. Not, not really, but what a wonderful time to be alive and to be God's people in that, in that time frame. So if he was over 50, he experienced all that. Obviously, he also experienced the wandering in the wilderness and God's providential care for his often disobedient and faithless children. So for 40 years, they wandered around in the wilderness and God did all kinds of things for them in that time. Like what? Uh, Deuteronomy 29 
says, and I just read verses 2 through 5, And Moses called unto all Israel and said unto them, Ye have seen all that the Lord did before your eyes in the land of Egypt unto Pharaoh and unto all his servants and unto all his land, the great temptations which thine eyes have seen, the signs and these great miracles. Yet the Lord hath not given you a heart to perceive and eyes to see and ears to hear unto this day. And I have led you 40 years in the wilderness. Your clothes are not waxen old upon you, and thy shoe is not waxen old upon thy foot. That's just, God lists a number of wonderful things that he has done, but I'm especially thinking about that their shoes didn't wear out. And their Clothes also didn't wear out. Just miracles that God did in their midst. So he provided for them that way. Remember, we're talking about Achan's privileged condition. Something else was that God provided them with good and excellent food, like um, quail meat, and what else? Manna. For 40 years, God gave manna. And it has often been of interest to me that in Psalm 78, the psalmist there calls manna two different descriptive terms. One of them is corn of heaven. And the other one is angel's food. The Bible calls manna angel's food and corn of heaven. I think maybe, well, you, well maybe we can assume what angels eat up there in heaven. I'm not sure, but to me that has always been intriguing. But especially we're thinking about Achan's and the nation of Israel, but especially the backsliders' privileged condition. We also know that Achan, in that time, that 40-year period, would have seen various examples of God's judgment on the ungodly. And there's numbers of things, places that we could look where God pronounced judgment and passed judgment Achan knew all this. And the thing about Achan's sin is that he, because of all the great blessings that God was showering upon them and him at that time, the last thing that Achan really needed is that Jericho junk like gold and silver and worldly clothes. God had well proven himself to be in the wonderful blessing business, but the backslider was tempted by such silly, uh, I call it Jericho junk. And, and as I think of those kind of things, and as I think of ourselves and the many blessings that we have, you're probably thinking about Calvin and the Cubans, aren't you? Thank you, Calvin, for that devotional this morning. That We needed that. I needed that. So here was a man with a tremendously privileged condition. And I, I just ask again, what about me? What about you? Having thought about this backslider's privileged condition, let's change gears just a little bit and think now about his possible confession. First, his privileged condition, but then we look at the possible confession, his possible confession. Why do you think, verses 13 through 15 in Joshua 7, why do you think that Joshua made it so clear and public the day before what is going to happen the next day? He announced it good and proper to the whole camp. And you might say, well, it's just always good to be communicative. And Joshua was exemplary there in letting everybody know what's going to be happening the next day. I think that Joshua was inviting the person who was unknown to them at that point, I think that it's possible that Joshua was inviting Achan to come forward in repentance and, and confession by saying, this is what's going to happen, but allowing a time frame there for the perpetrator to come forward. Now, I've never heard that said. I've never read that anywhere. I'm just thinking that that's possibly the case. Joshua knew like we knew, like we know, 
from history and from experience and from the Bible that God is a very merciful God. And so I'm just guessing again that Joshua was setting up a, an easy way for this, for this person to come forward and say, it was me, I'm sorry. His possible confession. Think about how merciful God is. Think with me about how merciful God is. One time there was a, a boy born and his parents named him after his death it shall happen. Well, we say Methuselah, but that's what it means in the Hebrew. Methuselah means after his death it shall happen. After his death it shall happen. And that boy became a, a man and he became an older man and an old man and he became so old that he lived for was it 982 years? Longer than anyone else ever lived. Do you see God's mercy in that? After his death it shall happen. And the chronology seems quite clear back there in Genesis. I'm just guessing that it was days after Methuselah died that the flood came, that judgment came. God in his mercy extended his life further and further and further, the oldest man that ever lived. Do you see God's mercy shining through in Methuselah? And we should take time to look at just a couple of verses in, in the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, the five books of Moses, which would be the only part of the Bible that Moses had. Um, let's look at Exodus 15, 13, and I will basically just be reading a few verses. These have to do with God's wonderful mercy. Probably I won't make many comments other than that. But listen as I read. Exodus 15, 13. Thou in thy mercy hast led forth the people which thou hast redeemed. Thou hast guided them in thy strength unto thy holy habitation. Numbers 14, 18. The Lord is long-suffering and of great mercy, forgiving iniquity and transgression, and by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation. Deuteronomy 7, 9. Know therefore that the Lord thy God, he is God, the faithful God, which keepeth covenant and mercy with them that love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. God is a merciful God. Joseph, um, Joshua knew that. And maybe that's why he allowed a time for um, Achan to come forward. But we don't just talk about Joshua and that he knew, knows that, knew that. We also think about ourselves. You think of you, I think of me. I know and you know that God is merciful. But this backslidden man wouldn't confess. We talked about his privileged condition. We're now talking about his possible confession, but he didn't do it. He wouldn't confess. Even though this backslidden man, Achan, didn't confess, wouldn't confess, even though he knew two things. He knew, number one, I know he, I'm sure he knew that, number one, he would be found out. And he also knew Number two, that the sentence for sin, that sin was death. Can you imagine? That day as the winnowing went on and level after level of, fact, of the fact-finding procedure went on and maybe it took hours or minutes, but I'm sure the, I'm guessing that the congregation of Israel was in awe and quiet and, and it was a time of great soul-searching and sadness. And all that time while that procedure was going on, Achan, even though he knew, number one, that he would be found out, even though he knew, number two, that the 
sentence was death. And even though he had had a chance to repent and confess, Achan chose, that backslider chose, just to stonewall it out. Amazing to me. Why couldn't have he, why wouldn't have he at least given his statement? Uh, notice that I don't call it a confession, I call it a statement. Verses 20 and 21, see it there? He does say, I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel. But he doesn't say anything about how that he's sorry, how that he's confessing, how that he's repentant. I think it was more remorse, and remorse is not repentance by any stretch of the imagination. Those two are very, very different. This is a picture of remorse, a little bit like Judas. Maybe you were thinking of him. So why couldn't he at least save said his statement earlier in the day and saved the leadership and the nation of Israel of a bunch of ha- out of a lot of hassle. But this backslider wouldn't do it. He had a chance to confess his possible confession, but he didn't take the opportunity. A classic sign of a backslider. So we talked about God's mercy. You know do you not, that God's mercy is tempered and God's mercy is balanced with his justice and his vengeance. I remember when I was a teenager hearing Elam Kaufman preach about Matthew twenty-one forty-four, where Jesus says, And whosoever shall fall on this stone shall be broken, but on whomsoever it shall fall, it will grind him to powder. And I had never understood what that meant. And I was so glad for uh, Elam's explanation of that. We have a chance. You have a chance. I have a chance in our day to fall on the stone, which is Jesus, and be broken and repentant. If I don't do that, when I have a chance, the time is going to come when that stone falls on me and it'll grind me to powder and there'll be nothing good left and my end will be death, both physically and spiritually. We understand that, don't we? That's, that speaks of both God's great mercy and his just justice and vengeance. And whosoever shall fall on this stone shall be broken, but on whomsoever it shall fall, it will grind him to powder. That was... Achan, the backslider that day, he was being ground to powder. By the end of the day, that, it was done. Ecclesiastes 12.14, as we think about God's justice, the very, last word, the very last verse in the book of Ecclesiastes says this, For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. And Jesus says in Luke 8:17 something kind of similar for nothing is secret that shall not be made manifest neither anything hid that shall not be known and come abroad and every backslider among us needs to know and understand these things makes me think of what James says in James 2.13, for he shall have judgment without mercy that hath showed no mercy. So we're thinking about God's mercy and we're thinking about God's judgment and justice as we think of the backslider. He proved himself, I don't know if this is said quite right, but I think you understand, he proved himself worthy of God's justice and vengeance that day. And so as we think of all that, I ask myself, and I'm hoping that you ask, are asking yourself, am I a true Anabaptist? Am I an Anabaptist or am I an Achan? You know that back in Anabaptist days in the 1400s, they were often called repenters by the people of the land around them because those people noticed that the Anabaptists would be would repent so quickly when they had done something wrong when they were shown that they had been come short had been wrong they would repent so fast they would say i'm sorry i was wrong am i an anabaptist or am i an achan
Am I an Anabaptist in the true sense of the word, or am I a backslider? Well, we've talked about the backslider, his privileged condition, and we wish that he would have done his possible confession. The next thing we have to think about is his personal catastrophe. What a prodigal son he was. You know what prodigal means. Prodigal means wasteful, a squanderer. I only learned that a couple years ago. And so Achan is a classic epitome of, the old, of an Old Testament prodigal. He just wasted all his privileged condition. He wasted his possible chance at confession. And after that happens so long, um, you can know that there will be a personal catastrophe. None of Achan's privileged condition seemed to help anything. It didn't seem to profit him. Not being mixed with faith in him that heard it, like I think the book of Hebrews says. And the other bad thing about his personal catastrophe is that, like always, Achan's personal sin affected others. It affected his family, and it, it and the and the nation certainly. So his wastefulness made that his family was wasted, and so and the nation was wasted. Thirty-six men lost their lives apparently. His personal catastrophe became a community catastrophe. It's enlightening to see what the backslider said when he was approached in verse 20 and 21. Listen to Achan's own words of how this catastrophe happened in his life. There's three words that he mentions in his defense in verses 20 and 21 and we should just pick those out uh, the first one that I'm thinking is verse 21 when I saw so I ask you was it evil or wrong for Achan to see that Jericho junk that day And probably you're thinking, well, no. And I think you would be right. Proverbs 20.12 says, The hearing ear and the seeing eye, the Lord hath made even both of them. God made us able to see what a great and wonderful blessing our sight is. And Sherry Abbott has said, and I quote the other side here, she says, it is through the eye gate that we take in the world around us and become extremely vulnerable to succumbing to sin. There's something about our sight that helps, that makes, just like she says, vulnerable to succumbing to sin. Remember, one of the three ways that temptation gets us is by the lust of the eye, the Bible says. So, no, it wasn't evil for him to see that. Maybe he couldn't help but see that. But that did help him to succumb to the temptation. Uh, I'm thinking of Eve on that long ago day back in Eden. Remember the Bible says when she saw that the tree was good for fruit and, and so on. And so I think, remember again how that song that we used to sing, Be Careful Little Eyes What You See, and, know, and just realize again how important that really is, that we guide our eyes, guide our seeing. Remember Job said, I will set no, no evil thing before my eyes, something like that. That's the responsibility of a Christian to be careful what he sees. There are ways that we can 
avert our eyes before we see things that we know are not going to be good for us. So be careful, little eyes, what you see, and be careful, larger eyes, what we see also. So the first word that Achan says is that he saw, and you might guess that the second one that I'm noticing is that word coveted, about the middle of Joshua 7.22. He coveted, he, he desired, he lusted. What is envy? What is covetousness? Well, it's dictionary.com says it's a feeling of discontent with regard to another's advantages, success, possessions, and so on. We understand what covetousness or envy is, do we not? It's longing to possess something. It's the green disease, as some people call it. Covetousness. The green disease. Some people have attached colors to various sins, and we understand that anger could be given the red color. And we understand that pride could be given the purple color, right? Because kings and queens and royalty often have a lot to be proud of and so on. These same people have said that envy is the green disease. What do you think they mean by that? <coughs> the green the shade of green I think that they're thinking of is not a fluorescent or brilliant or attractive green, but it's a ghastly, um, sickly green. You know, the kind of, the way that you would look <coughs> if you were out in a small boat in a choppy sea, you know how that is. First you feel well, and then after a while you feel unwell, and then you, after a while you feel like you're dying, and after a while you wish you were, and after a while you are envying those who have, as Robert Phillips has said. <coughs> and you can imagine about what shade of green your face would be about them. Envy is the green disease. Envy is different than a lot of sins, in that you don't get any enjoyment or fun or pleasure out of it. You know, there's some sins, like um, gluttony, for instance. Well, there's a set of consequences to that sin, but there's a certain short-term enjoyment, too. But a lot of sins are like that. But envy is a sin that nobody enjoys, that is envious, enjoys it. All it is... Is just wishing you had more. It's discontent. It's a crippling disease, and it's a cancer forming. It's both outward and inward. Proverbs 14.30 talks about how envy is like rottenness to the bone. Sounds like bone cancer or something like that. Something like that is what envy is. That's what the backslider experienced that day. And just... Quickly, there's a, is there a cure for that dread disease called the green disease? Yes, there quickly, there is. Thank God there is. There's a, one is contentment, which another way of saying that is satisfied in God's goodness to me. And the second part of that is love. That, or we could say, truly rejoicing in, other, in God's goodness to others. Achan didn't get it that day. But if he would have been content, if he would have been satisfied in God's goodness to him, and if he would have been truly rejoicing in God's goodness to others, I think maybe he wouldn't have backslidden. And then the third word, of course, is he took it. The sin was actually committed. And so, do you hear, can you hear, uh, as if it were God pleading here today, don't be an Achan, don't be a prodigal. Why couldn't you just as well be a Rahab? And let's turn now to the believer. In Joshua 2, the lady Rahab, she contrasts to 
the backslider in almost every way. You believe, you know that she was a believer, wasn't? Don't you? Because Hebrews eleven thirty one says, "By faith the Rahab, the harlot Rahab perished not with them that believed not, when she had received the spies with peace." She was a real God believer of her day. Thank God that there aren't just Achans and backsliders to look at in the book of Joshua, but there are people like Rahab who was a believer in God. Let's, now we noticed first his privileged condition. Let's look now at, first at her pagan condition. Remember, we're contrasting. She was such that she had three swings and misses. There's hardly anything that can happen worse in a ball game than for you to get up to the plate, swing three times, and head back to the bench. Especially if there's no balls thrown in the meantime, there's no fouls, three pitches, three misses, swings and misses, you're out. That's, that was her case. She just didn't, he had all the privilege conditions. She had none. She had no, hardly any spiritual advantages. All she had was disadvantages. She was a Canaanite, she was a prostitute, and she was a woman. She was a Canaanite. They were so evil, they were so vile, they were so wicked that they had forfeited their right to live. The holy, holy, holy God said so. She was a prostitute. She was a woman. She didn't have a thing going for her where he had everything basically going for him. It would be neat to know her age, wouldn't it? If you're like me, you would like to know that. But what does it matter? Well, she was apparently a pretty young lady. Why do I say that? Because it talks, and she was concerned about her mom, her dad, her brothers and sisters. Leads me to believe that she was pretty on the young side, not nearly as old or mature, supposedly, as the backslider. So here again, she sh the believer shows up the backslider. She was a young person, but she knew... She was more in tune with the ways of God than the older man with the advantages was. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that beautiful? Isn't it wonderful to serve a God like that that can redeem those kind of things? I just think of one time, uh, a couple years ago, we were at a church picnic over here at school, and it was time to leave. Uh, Wanda was still talking. And I, I noticed that, and so I, I was ready to go, but I noticed that Lonnie was over there, and he was also seemed like he was ready to go, because if I remember right, he was standing off to the side, and it was pretty obvious to me what was happening. He was waiting on Shannon. So I went over and struck up a conversation with him, of course, and basically, if I remember right, what I did was make a semi-snide remark about how it takes women long time to get done. And he said, I can't remember the words at all, but this was the, the, the crux of what he said. You know, she said no, no, no. She said yes to me twice, and she can just take as long as she wants. It is just no problem whatsoever. I, um, I learned from my son that day, and probably you would have stories like that too. Thank God that, there's, that youth can be more spiritual can be uh, more perceptive, can be more godly than their parents, than the older generation. How wonderful that is when it takes place. Well, we talked about her pagan condition, and now we should talk about her passionate confession in verse 11. Do you see the passion shining through there? I suppose... I'm just guessing that Rahab regained hope for the first time maybe in many years when she laid eyes on those two men at her door that day. I'm just guessing that she did. After all, even though she had no spiritual advantages hardly whatsoever, she did have a conscience, and I think she probably understood, like most people do, how horribly wicked and utterly depraved and spiritual, spiritually dead and doomed she was. 
I think so. In addition, she knew, like everybody in Jericho knew, she says that right out loud in verse 11, that they were doomed to physical death too because of, yeah, because of the situation with the Israelites coming in. So she knew that she was spiritually doomed, she was physically doomed, she, had, she was, like Ephesians 2.12 says, our condition was too, that we had no hope and without God in the world. Can you imagine? Do you remember how that was before you were born again? No hope without God in the world. That was, that was Rahab for, for the first time in ever so long. That day she had hope. I really wonder how she knew the covenant Israelite personal name for God. Do you see that in verse 11 she calls him God and she also calls him Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. That means Jehovah or Yahweh God, the personal covenant Israelite name for God. She was, didn't know him, but she knew that name. Wonder how that happened. She's an excellent example, uh, like the wise men in the New Testament. Remember the wise men in the New Testament? Um, they followed the light that they had. And when they followed the light that they had, they didn't miss falling at the feet of Jesus. Something like that was Rahab's condition. Something like that was Rahab that day. She hardly had any light but she followed the light that she had and it took her to hope it took her to God it took her to salvation I think physical and spiritual salvation Jeremiah 29 13 and ye shall find ye shall seek me and find me when ye shall search for me with all your heart so that confession that passionate confession that she gave of the one true God I think she delivered that with desperate devotion that showed very solidly that she was solid in her belief in the one true God. Because of you, for the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and in earth beneath. Very well said. Thank God for that confession that day. Thank God for Rahab being able to do that. I think maybe that only Nebuchadnezzar in the Old Testament um, would say it better and more eloquently than what she did. You might want to check out in Daniel 4, 34 through 37, sometime what Nebuchadnezzar said about our God. I'd, I do have to say, though, that it wasn't really her passionate confession that found her grace in the eyes of the Lord that day. What was it that found grace in the sight of the Lord that how was it that she found grace in the sight of the Lord that day? Well, the New Testament explains it in two different places. And in Hebrews 11.31, also in James 2.25, and both of those, James and I guess the Apostle Paul, speak about Rahab. And interestingly, um, Mark Nisley and the rest of us, that one of them says that by faith she did what she did, and the other one says that she was justified by works. Thank you for, for that topic. That was good. So what, what, what was it that justified her? Both verses say that it was because she received the messengers, or the spies, it says. She received them, so what we say isn't as impressive to God as what we do, is it? Uh, James 2.25, and sounds like Dave Stolzfus will be preaching on that in a couple weeks. I think he'll have some good things to say about that subject. So are you thinking of how Rahab contrasts with Achan in so many different ways? He had a chance to make his confession. He didn't take it. She Though she knew very little about God, though she had hardly any advantages, though she was much younger, she gave a passionate confession. We need now yet to look at her personal consecration. And pers consecration, uh, the dictionary says, one definition is to make something an object of honor or veneration. And certainly 
she, Rahab, is given honor in the Bible for her faith and for her works. It's her personal consecration. The Lord honors Rahab in the New Testament in a couple, or in the Bible, a couple of different ways. And you know that she, God saw to it to make her in the lineage of the Messiah, Jesus, the Son of God. What a great honor that God bestowed on that lady that day. Paul honors her for her faith. James honors her for her works, um, like we had said. And she was also honored in this world type of ways. She was able, in spite of her past, uh, to get married and Ruth, the book of Ruth, I'm sorry, Matthew 1 tells us that her husband was Salmon, uh, one of the leading families, actually the kingly line in the tribe of Judah. And there's many people that believe, uh, just for a little bit of romance here, that he was one of the two spies be interesting to find out when we get up there to heaven woman so she was honored um, in spite of her wicked terrible immoral past with she could have she could be married and that isn't to say that if god hasn't honored you by allowing you to be married or arranging you to be married that you are not right with god no 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 not at all god has plenty of good ways to honor you, he's creative, he's good at that, he's in the blessing business, might not be that, but for her, that was one of the, the honors that he bestowed upon her. She was also blessed with godly offspring. Like who? Well, Matthew 1 says, shows clearly that it was Boaz. Jewish writings indicate that there was eight prophets that descended from her, including, I don't know that this is, significant or substantial or anything, but to me it's very interesting, including Jeremiah, a man prophet, and Huldah, a woman prophet. And a number of years ago, I was talking to a Jewish man, and we got to talking along that line uh, about the Bible and things like that, and I commented to him, did you, do you know that the Bible, that the Old Testament tells us a name of her name of one of her sons and he said speaking of Boaz I had just found out not long before that that Boaz was Rahab's son and he said no I didn't know that but I know that our writings or our rabbis or something say that there was many um, godly offspring that she had many godly offspring she also had a long full life look at Joshua 6.25 I love to think about, I like to imagine that she might have still been living. I think that Joshua 6.25 was written about 40 years after the fact. And I like to think that she might have still been living, um, maybe even in Bethlehem, who knows, that day when a young Moabite widow showed up named Ruth. I think they would have had a lot to talk about. Rahab and Ruth. Well, we need to bring this to a close. 1 Samuel 2.30 says, God says, Them that honor me, I will honor. This poor, immoral harlot, prostitute, Rahab, honored the Lord and and he honored her. Thank God. That her pagan condition wasn't enough to keep her from God just like any less than ideal conditions that you are experiencing or have experienced are not enough to keep you away from the kingdom of heaven. So we noticed her pagan condition, we noticed her passionate confession, and we noticed her personal con- consecration. That was, that's for you and that's for me as much as it was for her. Them that honor me, I will honor. God honored Rahab. Do you know what the name Achan means? Achan means troublemaker. 
and he was put to death. And after that, they called it the Valley of Achor. I'm back in, in chapter 7, verse 26. And my middle margin explains that, the, that Achor means trouble. Achan was a troublemaker. He caused trouble. Notice that Joshua says that in verse 25. Why hast thou troubled us? So here's the question for you and for me. Are you someone that honors the Lord? Like Rahab? Or are you a backslidden troublemaker? Like Achan? Which am I? Let's kneel together for prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your precious, wonderful, pure word of God, and especially for that portion in the book of Joshua just now. I thank you for the way that you have highlighted and featured the backslider, and the believer, Heavenly Father. I pray that every person here and every person under the sound of my voice could be a believer by the grace of God, that there wouldn't be anything wasted, Heavenly Father. Thank you that you've given us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. There is plenty of grace available for all of us to be believers. It's not necessary that any of us should perish. It's not necessary that any of us would be troublemakers. It's not any of a, necessary that any of us uh, would need to be backsliders because your grace is sufficient, full and free. Thank you that where grace, that where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. I'm especially thankful for the, the many lessons of which we've noticed a few that the lady Rahab teaches us. Even here yet today in the 21st century. Lord, thank you for her life, for her change, for her believing in the one true God and that, that she, by her works and by her faith, showed the depth of her commitment. Thank you, Heavenly Father. Thank you that you can do the same for us today and thank you that you're coming soon. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.